Hello, my name is Israel. I've been involved in hip-hop since the 1980s as an artist, producer, radio show host, journalist, documentarian, magazine editor, hip-hop advocate, and pundit. Over the years, I've interviewed hundreds of interesting people in music, media, and more. Welcome to Sounds from the Underground, the podcast from Insomniac Magazine, where we learn from both those who reside below the surface and those who've breached it. So welcome to another episode of Insomniac Magazine's podcast, Sounds from the Underground. And it's my honor to welcome an iconic MC from the Bricks, who got his start in the iconic crew, The Artifacts, and has been doing amazing things in hip-hop on a solo level for over two decades, L the Sensei. What's happening, L? Peace, peace, brother. I'm all right. What's good? It's so good to have you on the show, man. I love to start going back to the golden era, if you don't, mm-hmm. if you don't mind. Be my guest, brother. All right, man. So tell me a little bit about when you first discovered your love for hip-hop. When was that, and what, what record really brought you in? Well, I would say uh, 10, 11 years old, uh, Irvington, New Jersey, and I first started hearing Curtis Blow and Super Rhymes and a lot of these songs we all know mm-hmm. as far as our, all of our beginning stages. You know, I first saw a homeboy character drawn on a house, abandoned mm-hmm. house on my block. Mm-hmm. I just started seeing words on on buildings, and I'm like, okay, what's going on? But you know, uh, I got into it. I got into hip hop uh, first as a b boy. Uh, you know, I, I went to school with a lot of uh, Spanish cats, uh, Puerto Ricans, whatever you want to say. Uh, everybody, Dominicans, and I was like the only black dude around that area where it was like on the floor a lot of black dudes was popping right but i was on the i was on the floor with my with my boys and we had a, we, I had a couple of crews um then i gradually started learning that all the other elements djing beatboxing eventually started writing but um you know once i i started buying like records as a consumer uh, growing up and from listening to Molly and, and Red Alert, you eventually had to start buying records. And my first records that I bought as a kid was Paid in Full. I remember this whole, this one weekend, mm-hmm. Paid in Full, uh, Boogie Down Productions, uh, Chuck the uh, Public Enemy, Bill Bum Rest the Show. Just, you know, I used to sit in my, my house and just soak all this stuff up. And, you know, you would hear guys like Rakim and Kane. And, I mean, when you, People got to understand when you first heard these people, you know, voices, they sounded like men, you know, mm-hmm. we, but they weren't too far in age from me at the time. But when you heard them, it, it was new. So I, I gravitated toward it, you know, already being a B-boy. So, you know, eventually you got into that other part of the game. But those, those are my beginnings, listening to those records. Indeed, no question. And by the way, I was one of those Puerto Rican kids, too. (laughs) (laughs) What comes out the gate on your first record with the artifacts was that appreciation and exuding hip hop culture. I mean, you mentioned being a B-boy and obviously, you know, graffiti is such a big part of the hip hop culture. And that came through 100 percent on your first release. Talk to me a little bit about how that came together at that time, how you, how you ended up recording music at such an early age and then getting signed to big beat. 
Well, um, man, like in my neighborhood, I was, you know, as far as in school and everything, I was doing talent shows and, you know, even growing up, like getting into the grab part. I remember going to the Bronx Zoo even before I get into the school thing. I remember going to the Bronx Zoo early, 12 years old, and I knew what I was getting into going to New York because, you know, knowing Wild Style was out and, you know, I'm coming from New Jersey, not knowing what New York looked like in my face, like live. I remember going to the zoo and we got on the train. I was just like, whoa, okay. Like the train was just full of tags and graffiti everywhere. But when we got off the train and we was in the Bronx and we got off and I just was like, holy shit, what in the hell? Burnt down buildings. It looked like like a war zone. I was like, what is this? Whoa. I mean, like it was no buildings, like, you know, and now it's totally different, but too. I just was like, but still was like, yo, this is hip hop. Like, this is what I heard about on TV and seeing videos, you know, Rocksteady Crew dancing in Flash Dance video. You know, it's just all this stuff. It was just New York. I've been to New York before, but it was only Manhattan, Washington Square Park. Right. You know, stuff like that. But that was like, oh my God. Like, went to the zoo, did all of that, but just, I wanted to get back out the zoo and go back to the train, just mm-hmm. to go home. Mm-hmm. And it was the same thing going back. And then I go home. And I get in the house and we eating dinner and what comes on? Star Wars come on for the first mm-hmm. time on TV. I, I see all this graffiti in the daytime and come home at night to see Star Wars and soak all that in. And it just transferred into later on where when knowing about Tame in the hood, Tame was a was straight local graffiti legend along with the other cast. We, I'm, I know for now my man Porno, J. Rule, Max 165, LTD crew, you know, and I knew about him just for that. Mm-hmm. So once we we got down in the crew, I knew people he knew, and um, I was doing demos with my, my man CMZ Rhino, uh, and uh, he was like our, our Molly to the uh, crew, like we was called the Boss Mob. Mm-hmm. So I only knew Tam for doing graffiti, mm-hmm. for seeing his name on the street. And when they told me that he he rhymed, and I'm looking at the walls, and I see his name in the room, like, oh, because he be here? Mm-hmm. And he rhymed, too? And like, yeah, so we got together. You know, when I always came there, he wasn't there, but we got together. We did a few songs, and then the rest was history. Once we got our deal, and once we, we got on, I mean, we got on Barbito, did the show with them, and we got our deal from that. And they asked us, like, you know, what y'all want to do, who y'all want to rhyme, you know, beat-wise, who y'all want to work with. Of course, we like at the time, like Primo, Pete Robinson, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Lars Pro, we saying all these names. They're like, nah, y'all ain't got bread for that. Mm. So they, they started naming names and they say T-Ray. Mm. And then I'm like, I'm like, okay, what about my man that did the joint for Lord Finesse and Sadat? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, can't front. Let's, let's get that dude. They, oh, that's Buck Wild. Mm-hmm. So, you know, once we worked with them and, got, and when we got, we got with T-Ray, you know, we just was in his house, in his basement, digging through records and once we got to doing songs with him and got comfortable, we got to the wrong side joint. We knew that somebody used, a few people used the sample, Chub Rock, Third Base, Entice. Mm-hmm. Even Pete Rock used the Bubblegum sample and the Mecca the Soul Brother record. Mm-hmm. So even Third Base, we didn't care. Mm-hmm. You know, all we thought about was, was Guru, like rappers and all, you don't own no loops. Just how you hook it up in the wrong style troops. <laughs> like, okay. So we used that rule and we just, you know, took that sample. Took the bubblegum sample. We used the drums, uh, you know, we, we were familiar with, uh, you know, uh, Black Moon used the drums at the mm-hmm. time. Everybody was using the drums at the time. So 
we flipped them, chopped them up, and that was kind of like the basic part of the track. And we were still digging for records, and we found this Jack Bruce record, and the horns came on, and we were sitting there just, you know, listening, and then that break came in, dun, 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 dun. we was like, whoa, mm-hmm. yo, okay, rewind that, rewind that. <laughs> we just pulled the record back and played it again, and it was just like automatic, and then we found the other horns on another record, but we didn't know that doing that record, because Lord Jamar originally did the, produced the record first. Wow. And for those that don't know. And actually, there's a record out right now by F5 Records. Uh, we did a, a, a wrong side single with them reissue, and on the B side, it has the demo version that Lord Jamar produced on that record. Nice. So he wrote the hook for it and everything, but even for him, when we first did the song, he asked us, like, what y'all want to do a song about? Like, mm-hmm. you know, we in New Rochelle in Sadat X basement. And he's like, how y'all want to do it? So he said, yo, from looking at y'all and seeing what I know about y'all from a little bit of time I know y'all, it seemed like y'all deep into this hip-hop shit, so why don't y'all make a song about graffiti? Mm. And then it all made sense for us. So we just sat there, wrote the joint, recorded it in, in the basement in Sadat's crib. And then we, the only thing that happened was we couldn't clear the sample. Mm. For the, it was a James Brown sample. Right. So we had to flip it and... and you know, do the version that you hear now today. Right, right. We if we didn't do, wouldn't be a classic today. So no question. A lot of things made that a blessing in disguise where, you know, it became what it is now. But how did how did Big Beat come into the picture? When you signed to Big Beat, that was before they were uh, a division right. of Atlantic, right? Exactly exactly. And they mm-hmm. was they were putting out all kind of records at the time. Robin yeah. S uh, house records, mm-hmm. you know, and, and at the at the time, Double X Posse was signed be, when we mm-hmm. was already signed when we got there. They were working on their first first album, right? And I I remember going to the studio with T Ray while he was doing Headcracker. We went to the uh, video editing when they did the Headcracker for a video for that. So I saw certain processes early, and you know, we Big B didn't so much give us a problem recording the songs and everything like that, being creative, because they knew with Reef, Rob Tulo, the A&R, he, he you know, was in good hands with him, and he pretty much knew everybody on the street as far as, like, you know, producers and everything like that. And mm-hmm. we didn't have no guest appearances except for the people we knew, my man Jay Byrne from home. We did uh, the album listening party for the magazines. All the magazines in the room, I'm talking about Rap Pages, Rap mm-hmm. Sheet, Source Magazine, Vibe, whatever. We playing the songs and we got the wrong side and it played through. Everybody was quiet and when it was over, it was just silence in the room. And you heard somebody say, "Yo, play that again." So okay, we played it again. Then somebody else said, "Yo, play it again." So like eight times we played this one record, and the people in the label was there. And after the after it was over, they looked at us and we was like, "Okay, I guess we all know what the first thing we're gonna be right." <laughs> <laughs> And that was a hot record. I was doing radio back then. Uh, that that was on constant rotation. So, and we didn't know that doing a song about graffiti at the time was going to be popular because it was still about making a hit record for us for the label. But I think once they they knew who me and Tane were, you know, just from the meetings we had and everything we talked about, and and just knowing where we was going with the music at the time, and when no one was talking about graffiti and songs, and it just. Got everybody else hyped up and all the all the reviews and all the people we ever met on the street and touring was like all said the same thing. Like this was the song we played when we went painting. It made me want to paint. Indeed. So, and even though we didn't go gold or platinum or anything like that, 
that to me means more because we still making records today and a lot of people from our era not so that's a testament to the fans and what they wanted out of us as MCs and artists you know once we put that in the forefront no question and it's ingrained in the culture I mean that's the other thing there's so many artists that come and go and regardless if you know about hip-hop even if it was you know 20 years ago today you still know the artifacts and the kids mm-hmm. I'm sure that are discovering the artifacts today still to be able to make records today to have that happen that's uh you know don't take that for granted that's phenomenal man so talk to me a little bit about those two albums that you spent with Big Beat what was what was that like uh it was a learning experience it was beautiful because you got to I got to see the inside mm-hmm. and how everything worked and you hear about it a lot I mean we didn't go through a lot of say bad times as far as that only thing I would say was you know, when you have people working at a label and they're working on a project, no different if you had a job and you're working a job and somebody get fired and somebody get hired and mm-hmm. you teach them to teach them how to do this, teach them how to do that. It was a lot of that. So right. it was not a lot of times where we had the, the support fully of, you know, what we were trying to do. And, you know, where that comes in with personal life happens and, you know, they knew who we were within our music, but mm-hmm. then also also with being people, you know, they have to understand that we have lives just like they come to work and push these records. We got to do the same thing with pushing them and going on the road and everything like that. So enough of that wasn't happening to where once the second album, you know, the first album was cool. Still, like, I guess with for certain pieces to certain to the puzzle wasn't there for us. Right. You know, we we was feeling like okay. You know, we just just on the label, and we just you know doing records. We did good records, mm-hmm. and we had a we had a good run. And I'm not mad at nobody because I didn't think that we would get a deal in the first place. I think with certain uh, safeguards we had with the contract, where it says you know when we leave, we can leave with our name, and that's what I wanted. What's the biggest lesson you learned from that time period? The biggest lesson I learned. Mm-hmm. Man, I, I I learned to stick to your guns because you know you know what's gonna what you want to release as an artist. You don't want nobody to tell you what you should be doing. That never really happened mm-hmm. as far as on on Big Beat. So you know we never had like I said creative issues with that. But I think it was more or less we wanted more, and it made me understand what I had to do as an artist where I didn't want to wait for certain things if I feel like I can do it in my own power. Right. And, you know, that's the hardest part of being on a label when somebody telling you no. <laughs> when you right. know it's the right thing to do, mm-hmm. you know, doing a video for Come On With The Get Down Remix with Busta Rhymes was, mm-hmm. I feel like, a big mistake that they didn't make, that they didn't mm-hmm. make a video for that. But then I learned that, you know, when you have two labels involved, where it says little artifacts and... Big B Records, and you have Big Electra and Buster Rhymes as an, as an artist. They're looking out for his best interest, and they're looking at it to say, like, you know, how, who would that benefit the most? Mm-hmm. But, like, I was trying to explain at the time, was like, yo, it'll benefit both because he's coming from a group and he's about to go solo. Right. And we got to a banging record where he promised me when we first met him on a bus mm-hmm. going to Morgan State College, and he heard that song. We had a little radio on the bus, and Buster, he took the radio from me, and he just was like, 
that song came on, he rewound that shit just like three, four, five times in, mm-hmm. in front of every in front of everybody on the bus, and he stopped that tape. And he said, if y'all ever do a remix for this song, let me know. And we all was on the bus frozen. Charlie Brown didn't go looking at us, me and Tame like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, when, and, and and I never really told that story like that, you know what I'm saying? Like on on an interview or anything, but right. he he gave me his number, my number, and we kept in contact. And when the label told us we was doing the remix. I called him and I told him, and I went to Buck Wild Crib up in the Bronx. Buck mm-hmm. made the beat right in front of me, right like he did the first beat for the original. I went to the studio, Buster was at, I think maybe Soundtracks, where we was recording that too. I played him that beat and he lost his mind. Wow. He said, yo, okay, when we recording this? <laughs> wow. And after after that that era of the two Artifacts albums, you continued, obviously, to make records. And I noticed, I mean, throughout the years, obviously, you've, you've done a ton of records with a lot of different independent labels. Now, was yeah. it was it a, a a choice that you made not to go back with a bigger entity, or was it just what made the most sense at the time? Shit, it made most sense for me. And I think after having that taste of that life, uh, it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Because I've seen where it got it. It got us up to the point where we was at. And once you have, once you're being questioned by the higher ups about what can they do for us as a label and selling records and we're not making the kind of records that sell records for them, you know, why go back? Right. Because you're going to hear that again. And either you're going to compromise and do what they want you to do or you're just going to struggle trying to do what you want and they just not, you know, pushing it. Right. So, you know, it made sense because even after we left, you know, was leaving, we did the record Brick City Kids with Juju and, and VIC. And mm-hmm. that was Rock- that was Rockets' first record that they put out with Brick City Kids mm-hmm. as a label. And it was under, it was Ghetto Gold was the name of the label that Juju and Vic had. Mm-hmm. So from there, we knew, you know, and then once I got off, I was I was always friends with my man, Matt Fingers, Matthew mm-hmm. Slick. Matt Fingers had a label called Guess Wild. Mm-hmm. He was always, I used to always, you know, he would come to the sessions when we were doing uh, the Artifact Records too. Yeah. And he always he always told me, like, look, if you, if you ever, you know, anything ever happened, call me up. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And we'd do some work. So I waited I waited for a while, like a year or so, and I remembered that conversation, and I called him. I right. said, remember when you, remember you said, uh, if I ever wanted to do a record when I get off of this label, I, you would want to do it? He said, yeah. I said, all right, I'm ready. He said, right, right. So next thing you know, I called, you know, and he said, who would you want to do a song with right now? I said, right now? I said, Organized Confusion. Mm-hmm. And he had already FT from Street Smarts, and he had Mike Zoop. So right, I said, right. those, those, those are your people, you know, put them on. So that was my start. And along with the B-side with my man P Original, uh, my producer from Jersey, he, he passed away last year. Mm. And um, he, he did the B-side for my first single, uh, All Rise. And he did a lot of other work for me where, like you said, we was on different labels. And my first runs was with, with him, uh, whether we did the Keep Alive record with Fat Beats. Uh, I did a record with, with High Tech and Diamond. And mm-hmm. Buckwild produced a B-side called uh, Live Shit. And that was on a label called, called Blonde Side Records from London. Mm-hmm. I, worked, I worked with another London group called The Creators. They were, you know, all these records I was doing just like one-offs. And it was like the Japanese label I, I got to work with. Me and P Original, we did a record called Brothers Ain't Got Brothers Ain't Got It, and we did a remix for that. And 
that got us to Japan. And, you know, he saw that before he passed. But I, I love the fact that when he saw that, you know, these are all the things I told him about. And we got to go over there and make records with those artists as well. Right. So I looked at all of these at th that time in my life as, I would say, a basketball player on a 10-day contract. Mm -hmm. We can go to these, to these different teams. You eventually gonna be like Skip to Malou and the Houston Rockets team gonna sign you, or you gonna go to Toronto and they gonna sign you because you that right. good. So it's, it's all about like going to these people as homes. I didn't have a permanent home until I went to Seven Heads in 2002, mm -hmm. and I did the album with them, uh, Relax, Relate, and Release. And that was kind of weird because I coming from a group, I knew that, I, well, I didn't know if people wanted to hear me by myself. Mm -hmm. or, or even it was just used to me being with Tame. Right. So it was more work for me where I'm like, damn, okay, I got to really say eight, three, three verses. Right, right. By, by myself. That was hard. And then to do shows by myself, where I had to get used to him not being on stage and, you know, projecting that onto record as right. well. So it's, it's like I had to impress these labels, but every record after another got to be, you know, I would, they would sell. No question. I, I, I played all those records on the radio, all the records you were talking about. Those all got played um, I, I, clearly on a lot of, I guess, what we would call underground radio shows and mix shows. Mm -hmm. That surprised and, me a lot. And you were hot. I mean, you were a standout. There's no question about that. <laughs> Talk to me a little bit about marketing. I mean, you've been around a long time and you, you've worked in a lot of different spaces with a lot of different labels and artists. Talk to me about some of the, the better marketing uh, tactics that you've seen throughout the years. If you don't mind, share maybe a couple of like really strong ones that stood out that, that helped break a record or help get you that shine. Well, uh, I would say after my album, Unusual, I, I did with Fat Beats, I, I was like, okay, now I got to do something different. You know, I, I was like, you know, knew I had to do another record, but uh, stuff started happening where, like you said, all the records I was doing and say even with, with European producers and a lot of the records was getting overseas. Mm -hmm. I started, I started working with um, different European producers and say like uh, my man, DJ legal from the snow goons. Mm -hmm. uh, I was pretty much on a lot of their records, but they introduced me to a producer team called the returners from mm. Poland. Mm -hmm. And when I got at, not say I was at a crossroads before when I met them, but it was like, I was touring a lot and I was like, okay, you know, the Fabies thing did well and crowd pleaser came from that. And, you know, working with Ilmine, he was a, a new producer, mm -hmm. you know, and from Jersey too. I just knew I had to do something different again because in this game being from my time era, you got to always reinvent yourself. Or I think if you stay current enough with the new producers that people listen to now and you get to work with them and they listen to you lyrically and say, all right, I can fuck with you too, it works out. Mm -hmm. But then but then it also gives you another sound. So like with the returners, when I first was rocking with them, the producer, Little, he was doing a lot of, you know, digging for samples from here in America where mm -hmm. that you might have heard of them or heard some already or, you know, I told him, I said, you need to dig for Polish records in your country where they mm. did records like funk records and breaks and shit like that. It's the same, but just in your language. Nice. And they, st and they started doing that. So the album I did with them, the second one, the New World album, 
it was all poorly samples except maybe two songs and that made for a fresher sound it made for you know where the label that we was working with they have an artist called OSTR. He's like the, one of the biggest artists hip-hop-wise in Poland. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to work with them and me, you know, being a black guy, working with two Polish dudes, young, not make you know, these were their first records besides the ones they did with their crew or with OSTR. You know, it was different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it was also because I was rocking in English and everybody that's out there rocking Polish. Right. So it was a challenge for the people to mess with me to even listen to the record to learn the English but it was also like damn they working with an American artist that we know but not knowing I'm like yeah and it's giving me another sound too and right, bringing, me, bringing me somewhere else that I haven't been so then that take me to work with you know French producers Croatian producers my mom like my man Kool-Aid I got to go to Croatia and learn their culture and see how they learn they know about hip-hop they like it's I got to learn that it wasn't just about making records and being nice on the mic and making dope songs. It was like, okay, once you do that, you still got to go to where these people are at or you interact with them and you have to have merchandise. You know, a lot of stuff that we took advantage of or took for granted in the past. I always try to have shirts though. That's no question. Mm-hmm. Even when me, when I was in Artifacts and when I became solo, I always made records for all the singles I put out, whether it was Keep Alive, Frontline, mm-hmm. you know, I, I made t-shirts for all of the, the unusual, for everything, just because when you go on the road, these people ask you, like, you got anything? Like, mm-hmm. you know, so I learned that early. Like, have shirts, have CDs, have cassettes. Like, I used to bring, I used to go to Manhattan and just buy boxes of tapes mm-hmm. and make make covers for the tapes. Like, you know, cut them out, fit them inside the, the <laughs> box, everything. Just so I would have something on the table when nice. I'm going to where I'm going. Right. So, and, and that's up to us as artists. If you don't want to make no, no extra bread for you know, your <laughs> hustle, you stupid. What What was the uh, What was the most interesting piece of merchandise that you've made available throughout the years? Hmm, besides the skateboard we did, the deck we did with my man, uh, this company called Waters and Army. I've just you know, been trying to venture out and do different stuff. I've made some uh, rolling papers with a company called Ziggy Papers from Sylvania. Um, that I would say right now, and that's right now, I would mm-hmm. say, you know, that crack people's skull, you know, when they come to the table and they see the hats, they see the shirts, they see the hoodies, mm-hmm. but then when they see the paper, they're like, oh, mm-hmm. like, I've given papers to Keith Murray, even Keith Murray, we in the store, he's like, yo, you got your own papers, but we buying blunts. <laughs> that's right. But he was like, but I'm just, but he, he didn't, I handed them to him before we went to the store. And he's like, yo, what are you handing me right now? Like, are you serious to tell me that you got your own papers that do? So, I mean, everybody's like, react the same way. Mm-hmm. So from here to Japan, even when I got there, I didn't think they were going to buy the papers because it's kind of like scary to be out there and smoking bud in Tokyo. But outside of Tokyo, you kind of good, but you still got to be careful. Mm-hmm. But these dudes was like, look, coming to the table, like, oh, word. And they opened it up like papers were like you wanted to get okay. I'm like, okay, well, that's that's you know, something that you didn't think you can sell back in the day. Right. That you that you can sell now. If you think about it for a moment, it's kind of an interesting path because you know, you started in the Mecca 
of hip hop. I mean, the tri-state area. And you're talking to me about Croatia, and I know the Snow Goons are from Germany, and you mentioned Poland and, and Japan. Talk to me about that love overseas. It seems to me, having been around enough folks that you know come from the golden era, that still get so much of that respect and love overseas. In some cases especially when it comes to shows, more so there than here. I mean, is that something you've experienced as well? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the only reason why I'm still making these records like this and being able to move around because, you know, when we come to these shows, it's it's almost superheroist-like, you know, because I say it's like being a sports fan, I equate a lot of things to sports. It's like back in the day when you, I don't know if you went to sports like that, but for me, like the wide receiver is like the is um, like second after the quarterback. Mm-hmm. You know, the running back do all the grunt work. But when you look at the wide receivers that I grew up watching, Art Monk, James Lofton, Jerry Rice, they was like they was super nice. Wouldn't get dirty. You know what I'm saying? Get on that mm-hmm. field, do everything they got to do, and they get dirty a little bit, but they super nice with it. But people, you know what they expect when they hit the field. You know, mm-hmm. magic's gonna happen. So a lot of times when we go overseas. These people hear about us at home. Now you got to think about even before the internet. Mm-hmm. You know they didn't. They it's different now. They they know about everything now. It was like mm-hmm. for us, like almost like going from up north to go down south is a little slower. Right. They don't know. They don't. They don't know about everything down here because it ain't up here. Mm-hmm. So you got you got dudes and certain promoters in different countries where they will go to New York bring the hip-hop clothes and style and style and records and bring it back to their country. And you be you the man in the city mm-hmm. that everybody know that got that. So that's the ones that do the promotions and bring the artists out. So now it's different now. It's like everybody's a promoter. Everybody, that's why so many people going to Europe now more than ever because mm-hmm. these people have more access to the artists personally rather than calling William Morris agency and famous uh, agency. Like we want to book this guy only through them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. You're going to have to, you got to pay the fee and do all mm-hmm. that shit. Now today is like, you know, artists are more susceptible to be like, Hey, you can call me or you can call my man. I used to run with on the block and mm-hmm. he my manager and my, my role manager. And we do it in, in cast is like, I'm going to do it like that. I'm cutting the middle man out. No more 15, 20%. We doing it like this. We could get our own flights. And we could do our own business because the promoters don't want to work with the booking agent that's even in Europe. But mm-hmm. it's because, but it's so, it's so vast. So you have these, you know, people that's willing to put their money up mm-hmm. to do monthly shows and weekly shows to bring all these artists because it's a business. It's a business. Right. And, and a lot of cats from my era that's still able to work like Ace and Lord Pro and Munch and, mm-hmm. you know, Redman and Meth, even more now overseas because mm-hmm. people, people can afford it. They team up. They they they. It's regular. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like for here in America, the regular thing was used to be rock the bells. You know, shit, right. like traveling around. You know, or like you know the things we do in New York, far as whether it's SOBs, mm-hmm. Emma Stein, Highline Ballroom, whatever, mm-hmm. and you know, Name Factory. Right. So, but but when you talk about different countries, like. And they're playing record. Yeah, we, we, we could be on a two week and a half tour, and every city we go to, they might play the same selection of records, but we laugh about it because we're like, damn, look, it's reg- but it's regular mm-hmm. to them. And and then and, and, and they asking us, well, why why in America y'all listen to that bullshit on the radio? And they blowing up more than you know. It's like they feel like they saving us. 
Right. Like they oh, and pre- and preserving the culture at the same time. Mm-hmm. Cuz some of these some of these countries have schools in these cities where they do hip hop classes in schools. Wow. My man my man J Rowe used to be doing that in Malmo or Sweden. Mm. And I mean, he might still be involved but like I'm talking about a school mm-hmm. where they have a class for MCing where you specialize in flowing and metaphors and you know conscious hip hop different stuff that you know they they show how to b boy they show how you do graffiti and make beats and it's crazy whereas wow. like here in America we have abandoned that mm-hmm. and and these little dudes today don't practice the hip hop uh, elements that these young dudes do out there where they skateboard and know how to do graffiti early young mm-hmm. practicing it like it's the, it's cool. Here is not cool. And it's interesting because clearly, you know, there are a lot of people here that, you know, say they love or they know hip hop. And in many ways, they they are just talking about the music and not necessarily the other other elements. So what do you mm-hmm. what do you think about that phenomenon and the state of hip hop here specifically, where in many ways the history to me seems as though it has become disposable? Yeah, man, it's just like I feel like as elders, we haven't given these cats an option to do what we was doing <laughs> because on one aspect, we was trying to get bread from the late 90s to the, say, middle 2000s where people started recognizing, like, all right, it didn't went too far, mm-hmm. you know, and then other things happened that people didn't expect, like the South blowing up. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas like it put the East Coast to the side and East Coast was confused and kind of trying to still come back from that in a way. Whereas like to say you see more East Coast dudes working together now, collaborating on records and producer production wise also where you say, well, if we would have been doing this shit back in the day. It would probably be a little bit different. Cause right. when you listen to when you listen to MCs from the East Coast talk about dudes from the South, they all say the same thing. They respect the camaraderie of them working all together, whereas we go, no, I'm doing me, I'm not I'm trying to do this with you, I'm, and we having beef records and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So at the same time, everybody else doing this over here and making money. Right. So here we are today, you know, where these kids do not respect Indeed. what what we've done in the beginning to where it's like, this is the first time, I think, in history of music mm-hmm. where you have young kids rocking out with the elders and the elders feel like you know we and they trying to figure out this is the problem all right the young cats trying to figure out why we mad at them Mm -hmm. and the older cats you know can't figure out how to channel their energy to them to say like yo we're not hating on y'all getting bread but we just like y'all just doing it wrong right and they trying to figure out like what is what is the wrong thing I'm doing like it was like like I'm making my bread you know what I'm saying but what am I not doing right like what are you saying like you could show me I'm like right. Yo, all all of this like and it's like almost like we gotta take them on a time whoop or sit them in the room with an interrogation like like <laughs> on some minister society like you know like you know you fucked up but I'm about to show you what it really like you know and just lock the door in the room and just play records where he's like. Yo, this is this from the beginning all the way to now, like, and have them really understand, like, show them film, like, wild style, show them, like, flat. It's almost like, I don't know if you see what's that, Tales from the Hood, and they had that nigga yeah. locked, strapped up all mm-hmm. in that shit, and mm-hmm. they were flashing all that stuff. We talked about the time he got out of there, that lady, like, you know what we talk about now? He was screaming and going crazy, like, oh, I can't take this. Wow. But that's what we got to do to them. 
So, but we, but through the years, we never did that. So True. they just, they just hard headed. We still on the block. Mm-hmm. They come, they coming down the block, and we looking at them like y'all not getting these spots. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's so many ways you can look at it, but it's, 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 it's creeping through a little bit. So when you see dudes like Joey Badass and you see ASAP and them, they, they have flashes of that. Mm-hmm. You see, mm-hmm. you know, you see my man Scott Zoo, you know, I, I like to, they, him and Torrey to me, you know, of course, Bow Brothers, you know, they, they to me like the good mixture of past and new of what. Mm-hmm. If you had to explain to a young cat, like, you know, if, I, if you really want me to tell you what you said, maybe like a little bit like that. You hear how these beats sound? You know, we ain't trying to tell you not to be where you're from, but like understand why we're feeling like this. Mm-hmm. And maybe if we could bridge that gap, all the dudes won't look so grumpy. Right. Mad. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about this project you have. And I've, I've been, we've been covering it for a while because I know it's been coming out in piecemeal. Your brand new album with uh, Sadat XXL, which, by the way, is an amazing title. What 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 brought that about? And also, why it takes so long to come out? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to first give credit to my man, MD. Uh, my man, uh, we was a good friend of mine. Uh, we, we used to always go on Twitter, and we had a hashtag for whenever we was about to light up. And um, wherever he was at, wherever I was at, he would go on Twitter and just put hashtag Peel, P-E-E-L. So I knew what that meant, so I, I hit him back. So one day we conversated in, uh, in DM, and he's like, yo, you, how the album coming along with Sadat? I was like, yeah, it was, we, you know, we're getting into it. But he said, yo, what, you, what y'all gonna call it? I was like, I don't know, we've been thinking about that, because everybody been joking around, like, you know, brand new facts, mm-hmm. Art of Nubian, <laughs> uh, new facts. Mm-hmm. So we just like, okay. He said, he said, like, why don't y'all just do the play off y'all names? I was like, what you mean? He's like, just take the like X and L. Then we, and then I was like, oh wait, like like XL. He's like, yeah, but you got to spell it like X E L. Like, nah, that won't work. I was like, cause then they're gonna, you know, we're gonna have to figure that out. Like, mm-hmm. I said, just let it be XL. He said, yeah, yeah. How you feel about that? I said, I said, it sounds dope. And then later on, I I brought it to Sadat, and he said, yo, that, that's kind of clever. Then mm-hmm. I started. T- we started talking more about it, talking more about it, and then I started putting it up. Like, yeah, XL coming soon. Da da da. He'd be up like, yo. Really going run with that, huh? Nice. <laughs> I was like, yeah, why not? He said, yo, all right, when you put it out, I need some little credit for that. So I told him, I said, no, every interview I'll do, I'll make sure <laughs> to say that that was your idea. Nice. And, and it fit well. So I told him that, you know, I'm doing it again. Right, so, right. Uh, but then we ran with it a little bit more and just, you know, XL, extra large, you know, extra large hip hop, extra large in every attitude of what the record is about and the elements. And everything that people not doing today, right? This is what this group stand for uh-huh. in a big way because I'm already a fan of Sadat, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, of course, he's one of my favorite MCs. Just not lyrically, but just his voice and everything. Right. So I was geeking every time we was in the studio, and I'm he closed the door in the booth. In the booth, <laughs> and when you talk to X, his voice kind of deep. You know, he don't turn his voice don't change until he turn up when he get uh-huh. like excited. Uh-huh. So when he closed the door, he closed the door. And me and my man sitting out there, and, and we smoking. And as soon as he starts rhyming, we just looking at each other like he looking at me like I'm like, yo, listen. <laughs> like I know X for a long time, and I know all his records. Sit there and know that what was coming out of the booth was gonna be with me. I was like, ah oh, man, this is like this is real special. And plain and simple, like we didn't. It was not hard to do this record with him. 
you know, any beats I played for him or anything he played for me, we was like, all right, you like that? You like that? All right, cool, let's go. We right. were in the room together. We wrote all the songs together at different studios sometimes, but always together. Not one time we wasn't in the studio. Together. Wow. Not together. We always together. And that's a rarity today, too. Yeah, and we we made sure to let people know that, even in the songs. Like, you know, he said uh, in the song, Like It, you know, he's saying how today's songs are being done by Sense Space and mm-hmm. press in with the file, and you you way over here, and the other dude in another city. Sometimes that don't make for good chemistry. No question. Songs. And that's the best song. The best albums get done when you're in the room with the person. So you was know, it? You get that communication, whether you start writing and y'all not showing each other what you writing, mm-hmm. but at least when you're in the room, whoever's going first or second, you're like, oh, damn, you know, either one thing you're going to do is either rewrite what you got or say it good or, you know, but you have the option of that while you're together. Right, right. Even the song we did with AG, we was together. We The only song we did oh, do together awesome, was, with, uh, was with Freddie Bumpy got a whole studio set up for itself, and mm. he knew he even doing the song with him. He saw us on on Twitter talk, talking. I'm like, yo, ask him about to meet you in Brooklyn, blah 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 blah. And he's like chiming in on the conversation, like, yo, I want to get down on the song. We was like, <laughs> oh, I'm like, oh, word. So I, I hit him, I hit him up on the DM, like, yo, I, you know, I don't have no bread like that. And he was like, did I ask for money? I was like, no. He said, all right, well, send me the track. On the strength. Like, like that, you, you don't say you don't say no to Bumpy. That's <laughs> so right. You did the track, and I'm a big fan of his too. Like no you know, question. So this this record is really, really, you know, for me and for Sadat, like a testament of where we come from, and showing a process of record making from our time that mm-hmm. is rare today, mm-hmm. and we wanted to show that it can still work today. Amongst all this turn up and getting lit, and it's it's twenty over twenty tracks of just straight up real quality hip hop from back in the day. It's it's just timeless hip hop is what it is. Well, thank you, and I try I try to ask everybody like if I can get a chance to ask them what they feel the most that they got from the record because a lot of people when we first you know when I told them it was twenty two songs, my man was like, yo, I don't know, like to, today's people you know attention span up, and honestly. I was like, I don't give a hell about that. That's <laughs> right. This, we used to listen to records where they took a damn hour and you just press play and you decide which ones you don't want to hear no more on the second go around. Right. And you and you fast forward. But then when we got the damn CD player, you was able to just, all right, skip, 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 skip. Mm-hmm. So now today, I think with the average time span of records being like 35 minutes, not mm-hmm. even 40 minutes, mm-hmm. like, even if it's 14 songs. So as a consumer, some people should be like, yo, I'm, okay, I'm downloading, I'm, you know, streaming, you know, as, as like, what else, what am I getting in return? Right, right. Besides, besides the music. Some guys, you might get a bundle, you know, which we're still going to do uh, with, with the release. We're going to make sure everybody be able to get an XL t-shirt uh, soon come. We didn't want to shortchange nobody. Plus, with the name of the album being XL, mm-hmm. you know, we knew we couldn't do a large record. That's <laughs> <laughs> couldn't do a large record. And we couldn't do medium record. Couldn't do a quarter top record. You know, we had to do full size. You know, more than a twelve inch. And no just, question. You know, that's like that's my main thing. Like, what do everybody get out of this today? Like, that was the only answer uh, question I would ask people. And you did it. I mean, it's it's a solid record, and uh, it's it's also available on vinyl, right? Indeed, yes, indeed. And then today, actually. 
it came out on cassette. So <laughs> on, on cassette, we got, and I just saw it today. It looked nice. It's a black cassette. It got even our faces on there, pictures of us on there. And it's all 22 songs. And it's the only physical besides the CD that right now that you can get it, the whole full 22 songs. Right. 22, 22 songs, not even on the vinyl. Right, right. Yeah, that would be almost like three vinyls, I think, to make something like that happen or more, right? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. We we wasn't doing that. And and, <laughs> right, and also it's only it's only fifty copies of the cassette. So y'all gotta go on the website, vinyl digital, vinyl dash digital dot com and they got the cassettes right up there now. So hurry up before they're gone. I'm curious about about vinyl digital. Is that is that a label that that was created for this, or what, what's the background behind that label? Actually, Vinyl Digital Digital is a label in Germany, mm-hmm. uh, and they they service vinyl. They service you know their label and a distribution company, sort of like I would say a German Fat Beats mm. uh, in in a sense. So when you think about that, you can put that in the same vein. I had a few conversations with them about other music, and then I told them that me and Sadat was doing this album, and they wanted to hear a few songs. I sent them the song; they loved it. And, you know, we're working with them right now. And, and I have to say, so far, they've been helping us out a lot and been on point with, with everything, you know, that we have have to do. But on a scale that we're on right now, coming from the labels we used to be on, mm-hmm. to have this to have this be like this in this way. And I'm sure hopefully they can say the same thing as us being artists. Mm-hmm. You know, it has to be uh, hand in hand when we're doing it like this. You would hope that a label would take in the interest that you want to have happen, whether you have a conversation to say, you know, what can we agree on that you can do for us and what can we do to help y'all? Right. And I, and I think the only thing that they would want from us is cooperation and actually selling the record because people, y'all got to understand, selling these records and doing these records are like making movies. Mm-hmm. You take a minute, you take a minute, like you said, this minute, this record took six years to get made. Mm-hmm. Six years. So that's in between brand new being shows and artifact shows and Sadat tours and Elder Sensei tours and just doing what we were doing in between. It took this long, you know, so we didn't want to just rush through it and, you know, act like we just could go in there for two weeks and just knock out all these songs and they come out like this. That's not true. That's right. So with this record label, they gave us the time, you know, and they knew how <laughs> they knew how long it took to get it done and they were patient with us. And they're there. I'm asking them for things and they're helping me. So when y'all see videos and y'all see uh, publicity going up and y'all see us sharing, you know, pictures on Instagram and Facebook, I would hope to think that this is what they expect, hopefully expected from us to be doing to help sell the record. Because just like the actors in the movies, the, the, the studios expect them to go out and promote the movies just in the same way the labels want us to go out and promote the music because. This is more about us selling our product than them just putting it out. That's right. I would be remiss if, if I didn't ask you, as someone that's just been in the game for so long, if you wouldn't mind sharing advice for someone that's coming up in the game right now and is looking or is making hip-hop, real hip-hop. I'm not just talking about rap. I'm talking about hip-hop. What, what would your advice be to them to try to break through and and, and make, make a dent in the game? Whatever you're doing at the time right now that you think is dope for yourself, do it. Because there's going to be a lot of people telling you what you should do, what you shouldn't do, how you should sound, 
you know, you have a lot of, you know, influences in music as far as what you listen to all the time. You know, just try to be different. Try to be different from what you even like in your own taste and what you listen to. Because, you, like my man told me, you're only as good as your last record. Mm-hmm. Try to be, try to be creative, and like you say, when you say you do real hip hop, like really do the real, you know. Because when you listen to Prime and you listen to uh, Primo and 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 Royce, that's what they're doing too. Mm-hmm. And Primo gonna make sure that Royce do that for him because this is where I come from, and if we're gonna be a group together, you can hear the influence on his side of. With what the album sound like, just as much as he's saying, I need a, I need another guru, mm-hmm. like and and I and this dude I pick him to be that, so mm-hmm. I'm gonna keep making records with him. So that's like you know show you where Royce is as an artist to Primo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is what this game is about. It's about growth. You know, do what's dope because a lot of people might not think that it is, but yeah, you you know this is what me and Sadat practiced when we did this record. We was like, man, if we we're not doing what everybody's doing for today. We're not going to do none of these records. We're not going to try to be young. We're not going to try to be like these dudes. Like, you know, let's do what we know, stay in our lane, and see where we get from it because then at least people can say we ain't trying to do something we wasn't supposed to do. And that's definitely what you and Sadat X did. And I got to give my wholehearted endorsement for everybody <laughs> out there to go out and check out Sadat X and L the Sensei, two legends in the game on their brand new album, XL. It's a modern day classic. And not only that, available on cassette. Word, you can't beat and that. Vinyl. There you go. You can't beat <laughs> that. And it's a vinyl-digital.com, right? Yes, indeed. Awesome, man. Well, I want to thank you so much for all your time, L. I wish you continued success. And I'm hoping to catch you while you're on the road one day so I can see you live. Yes, indeed, brother. Thank you very much. I appreciate you giving me this platform. And if I can speak for Sadat, he says thank you as well. And, um, you know, I'll be seeing you soon. I keep you posted on everything. And to everybody out there, you know, pick the record up. I hope you enjoy it. Just tell me what y'all think. When y'all out there, you see me online, just, you know, holler at me. Word up. Thanks again, man. Peace. No doubt, brother. Thank you.